four guys that Jesus invites to follow him were fishermen. That's what they did. And, and it's, it's really amazing story. And when you begin to read that story and, and you see what actually took place, we're going to look at that this morning. And, and what I love about this is that, that Jesus doesn't really mess around. He just cuts right to the chase. And he's going to make his agenda with those, those first four guys very clean, clear, and upfront, right there from the very beginning. And he's going to say to them, I want you to follow me. And when you follow me, I'm going to make you into something that you're not. And I think for, for those of us who have followed Christ, or maybe we've read the Bible, we know a little bit about Scripture, we, we like to insert things there that we think God would do for us. For instance, come follow me, Jesus would say, and I'll make you more honest. Come follow me, and I'll make you a better husband or a better wife. Come follow me, I'll make you more disciplined. I'll make you healthier. I'll make you wealthier. There's all kinds of things I think that we could begin to write into that particular phrase as we begin to think about what the Son of God would do for us as we begin to follow Him. And yet, it's very clear, it's very plain that right up front, Jesus is going to say to these first four disciples, come, follow me, and when you follow me, I'm going to make you into something. And I think when He told him what He was going to make him into, I think... I think for those guys, there had to be a little bit of fear, a little bit of bewilderment by what he says that he's going to make them into, because he says, I'm going to make you into something that you're not right now. You can't do it on your own. You can't do this by yourself. I'm going to do this in you. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen instantly. It's going to take some time, but this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make you into something. Now, this particular story that we're going to look at this morning is found in the book of Mark. And so if you have your Bibles, your iPads, your iPhones, or whatever it is that you have, if you want to look up the book of Mark, we're going to begin right in chapter 1. Mark is the second book of what we call the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all written by four different people, so they give us four different perspectives about the life of Christ. The book of Mark happens to be the shortest of the four Gospels. And so we're going to begin looking right here at chapter 1. I want you to look with me, beginning in verse 14. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus' agenda is going to be made very, very clear and plain and up front. And my prayer, my hope for us today, is as we look at his agenda for these first four disciples, is that we'll begin to understand and realize from Scripture That what God's agenda was for them then is still his agenda for us 2,000 years later. It is still his agenda for you and I here this morning. So Mark chapter 1 verse 14, I love this. Here's what it says. It says, after John was put into prison, talking about John the Baptist here, says Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Verse 15 says, the time has come, he said. This is Jesus. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. And believe the good news. Now, this is a very, very rich passage of Scripture. And one word I want you to look at here very quickly with me is the word repent. Because in the Old Testament, that word basically meant that that God was going to do something. God was going to show up in a big way. God in the Old Testament would tell his people, if you do this, then I'm going to do this. Repent. Repent in this way, and I'm going I'm to do this. I'm going to take care of this. So it was always a precursor to God doing something big. Jesus uses it in a little bit different way. And what he is saying here this morning is he's saying, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. In other words, turn your heart 
Turn your heart, turn your focus, turn your attention to God. Because for those of you who do, the few who turn their attention, their heart to God and what he's up to, what he's about, they're going to see something incredible because God's up to something new. God is going to do something big. Don't miss out on it. Now, right out of Bible college, it's interesting, I, uh, my degree is in secondary education, and I actually was an earth science teacher for junior high kids uh, starting out right out of college. And I loved earth science, I loved biology, loved all those different types of things, and um, I love the study of the stars, the planets. I, for me, it just blows me away of how amazing God is, that he'd create all those things, and it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. And every now and then, I'll see on the news, they'll talk about a meteor shower, Right? And I just think, man, I'd love to, oh, that'd be awesome, I'd love to see a meteor shower. But I've never seen one. I've never seen a meteor shower. You see, the problem is, they typically happen about two or three in the morning. And I don't set my alarm, I'm not one of those guys that's going to get up, lose you know, an hour of sleep, because then you've got to fall back asleep and all those kind of things, just to go out, stand in the dark and in the cold, and look up and see this meteor shower. Now, the fact that I'm not out there, or the fact that anyone is out there, to look up and to see the meteor shower at 3 in the morning, that doesn't make it happen. What had, the fact that they're out there gives them the, the opportunity to see it happen. You see, and here's the thing. Jesus is saying, guys, don't miss out. God's fixing to do something. Turn your hearts. Repent. Turn your hearts. Turn your focus. Turn your attention to what God is going to do. Don't miss out on it. I also love to go to the beach. Now, I grew up in, in Illinois, landlocked, and um, the first time I can remember that I saw the ocean was when I was 15. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but uh, a lot of people will find shark's teeth when they walk the beach, you know, on the ocean. There, I guess there's a couple of ways you can find shark's teeth. One is when you're walking the beach, they're there on, on the, in the sand, right? The other way is to take one from a shark, and I don't recommend that. And so um, I've never found a shark's tooth. I never had. I've been on all kinds of beaches, love the ocean, love the beach. I've looked for shells. I've looked all over the place, but I've never found a shark's tooth. The fact that I've never found one doesn't mean that they're not there. The fact is, I haven't found one because I haven't been looking for it. Jesus is saying, listen, get ready. God's going to do something. Pay attention. Repent. Turn your heart to what God's doing because he's going to do something big. And you don't want to miss out on this. You don't want to miss it. Look at verse 16 with me. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. That's the message Jesus has given, all right? He's given this to the disciples and those who are listening. God's fixing to do something. Repent. The kingdom of God is at near. Turn your hearts. Turn your focus to him. And these four guys, these famous men that we name our kids after, right? Peter, James, John, Andrew. We name our kids. I mean, these are famous guys, right? They've heard this message, and now here, look at what's going to happen. In, In verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon. Now, Simon would later be named Peter, his brother, and Andrew casting a net into the lake. And for those of you who aren't outdoorsy types... Okay, you're a little slow on catching on to this stuff. You don't get what a net and a lake means. The author, I love this, puts this in here. For they were fishermen. Okay, thank you. Some of you are a little quick. You caught that. Some of you are still thinking about it. Lost an hour of sleep. You know, it had come to you. Okay, here's the deal. Verse 17, check this out. Don't miss it. Jesus says this. He says, come follow me. Come follow me and I will make you more disciplined, more holy a better dad, a better mom, healthier, richer, all of those things. No, I'm going to make you into something that you're not. 
All those things are okay, and they may come as well. But here's my agenda for you guys. Here's my agenda for these first four disciples. Here's my agenda for you today, right now, here at Kirby Church. Here's my agenda. Come, follow me. I'm going to make you something that you're not. You can't do it on your own. It's going to take some time. It doesn't happen happen overnight. But if you follow me, I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. To which I think we could have heard a gasp. (gasps) From these guys, right? These first two guys. And and for those of us reading this story, we've got to think to ourselves, that seems a little irresponsible, doesn't it? That that they would ask this question, because look at their response. This is what I love. Um, Their response is in verse 18. It says, at once they left their nets and they followed him. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Their nets, they left their nets, their security, what they knew, right? What they were used to, their livelihood. They left what what they had, all that they had to go in to follow Jesus. And we hear that part of the story and we're like, isn't that irresponsible? Because their dad owned the business. And if you know anything about that culture, when dads own the business, they want to hand that business off to their kids, right? When they retire someday and they look forward to that retirement age so that they can do that. And these guys drop it. Everything to go follow this preacher, a carpenter named Jesus. Now, what you don't understand, I love this, is Luke is a doctor. So Luke describes things a little bit differently than Mark does. It's one of the reasons his, his book's a little bit longer than Mark's. Is he's into the details. And, w- and when, when it talks about Jesus saying, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, Luke puts it this way. He says, from now on you're going to catch men. You've been catching fish. But follow me because from now on you're going to catch people. And they had to be thinking about it. And yet they drop their nets and they go do it. And here's the really cool thing. I'm just going to summarize this. Here's why they dropped their nets. Here's why for you and I reading this story, without reading Luke, we're going to think that's crazy, that's irresponsible. What you don't know that Luke tells us is that just before this happened, these disciples had been out fishing all night long. They're professional fishermen. This is what they did. This is how they made their livelihood. They come in from a night of fishing, they hadn't caught anything. Now, I've got to admit really quick, I love to fish, but I'm a catcherman. You know what I mean? I love to fish if they're biting. I mean, I, it's me. I mean, it, to me, it's a little boring if they're not biting. I'm a catcherman. I, if, they're, if they're biting, man, if I can catch and fish, I am the ha- happiest guy on the planet, right? I love doing it. I love, I love to eat them, too. And so that's just me. And, and these guys had come in from a night of fishing. They're fixing their nets. They're cleaning their nets. They, they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus, the Jewish carpenter, walks up and he says, hey, guys, let's go fishing. And they're like, oh, come on, you're a carpenter, you know. Stick to carpentry. We're fishermen. We've been fishing all night. We're like, he says, no, let's go. And he insists, and they go. And if you know anything about the story, if you've read this in Luke's account, they basically throw out their nets. Where Jesus tells them to throw the nets, they catch more fish than they can hold in two boats. Guys, they'd seen a miracle. They'd witnessed God's Son, the Messiah, perform modern-day miracles. So when Jesus says, guys, come follow me. And I'll make you a fishers of men. When they drop their nets, you need to understand it's, in one, it's within the context of what they have seen in Christ. Last week, some of you had the privilege of meeting a young lady from France named Gael. Gael was here with Clint and Lynette Morgan. Clint shared here in the service. And as, as Clint, who's a former missionary to, to France and to Africa, was sharing... Um, Gael was down in the gymnasium sharing with our life groups, and Lynette was translating. She was sharing in French. She's from France. Less than 1% of the population of France are evangelical born-again believers. You can drive all over the country of France and not see churches. Drive for hours and not see a church. 
And so here's Gael, who four missionaries over the period of a year or more had been witnessing and reaching out to Gael and eventually saw her drop her nets and become a follower of Christ. She's down here in the gym sharing her story. And, and I, I've heard her story before. I've heard her share it. But she said something son, last Sunday morning that just stuck with me. And she said this in talking about becoming a follower of Christ. She said, I didn't immediately become a follower of Christ because of God's word. I became a follower because of Lynette and what I saw in her. And the word she used to describe Lynette Morgan was glowed. She glowed. She had a glow about herself. It's the way she, way she lived her life. It was that excitement. It was that peace. It was everything that she had within her that resembled Christ. And I saw that. And before I even got into God's word, that's what drew me to her. These disciples, what drew them to the point to drop their nets is what they saw in Christ, what they experienced, what they'd seen him, they'd seen him do, what they'd witnessed with their own eyes. And so we, when he said, come follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men, they dropped their nets and they followed. Now look at verse 19. It says, when he'd gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. It's not there, but let me help you out because they were fishermen, okay? Just in case you're a little slow again, catching up with me. In verse 20, it says, without delay, Jesus, says he called them, Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Now, you know what's amazing? As you read in the New Testament, you begin to read about these four guys, And the fact that they weren't real quick in catching on. They weren't great at being a fisher of men in the beginning. But by the end of the book, that's what they'd become. And James, John, Andrew, and Peter, as they begin to go out and they begin to to tell their friends, their family, their co-workers, people that they met, going into other cities about dropping their nets and following the Savior. People began to follow. They began to drop their nets, and they followed also. But they understood that to follow meant to fish. And because they understood that to follow meant to fish, they went and they told their friends. They told their family members. They told their co-workers. They told other people, their classmates, people around them. And those people dropped their nets, and they followed. They believed. Their sins were forgiven because there was a glow, and they saw Christ, and they wanted to have a part of that. They dropped their nets, and they followed, and they understood that to follow was to fish. And guess what? They began to tell their story. And guys, here we are 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet, loving, living for, worshiping a Jewish carpenter. because not, Not because people followed Jesus, but because people who followed Jesus understood that to follow was to fish. To follow was to fish. Followers fish. There's a meteor shower. There's a shark's tooth in front of you. Don't miss what Jesus is trying to teach. The kingdom of God is at hand. And so often we'd love to look at all the things that God will do in our lives, the things he's going to put on our life, that he's going to make us more holy and he's going to make us more disciplined, a better dad, a better mom. Guys, that's, that's Kate's kitchen gravy over biscuits, okay? That's the good stuff. But what Jesus, the point he's trying to get at here is, listen, no, follow me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. That's what I'm going to do in your life. That's what's going to happen. That's, that's what I want to develop in you. And guys, listen, we are so serious about this. I, I have been praying about this for a long time. I really want you to get this. 
I, w- I want this to, to really soak in on you this morning. And I love practical applications. And I've been blessed in the last eight months to get to know a lot of you here at this church. And a few weeks ago, I traveled with, with several of you to Costa Rica. And one, one couple in particular, I just, we, we just kind of got to know each other. And their story, I just love their story. And so I've asked Mark and Crystal to come out. Mark and Crystal Dolans, you guys, some of you know them. I've asked them just to come. And, and, and guys, you know, this isn't easy, right? This is tough. This is part of that. It's a little uncomfortable uh, part of the story. And uh, they're going to come out. I just want to ask them some questions because I want to hear, I want you to hear from their perspective what this means. And we're going to bring all this together. So you guys are sitting in different places from first service. You're throwing me for a loop, okay? Confusing me. It doesn't take much, Okay. <laughs> So here's the deal. I I would like to know, first off, what was life like for Mark and Crystal before dropping your nets and following Christ? Well, I grew up in a wonderful home with wonderful parents, a Christian home. I grew up in church, actually. I was uh, baptized and confirmed. I even went to a Jesuit college, um, and I thought that everything was okay. Uh, The emptiness that you kind of feel, I just thought that was something that was normal, and that there was something missing, but then I just kind of accepted the fact that, well, this is the way it is, and I thought I was okay. I thought I was good. My story is a little bit different. Um, I didn't grow up in church at all. Um, had a great family, um, a lot of friends, um, went to college, married the man of my dreams, had, uh, <laughs> had two uh, wonderful children. Um, I mean, everything was great. I mean, I was a good person, did lots of great things. Um, but yet, somewhere deep down inside, there was unrest. Something was missing. I tried to fill that void with vacations, uh, going places, buying things. And yet, there was still this deep sense of unhappiness. In fact, every day, I think I would ask myself, there's got to be more to life than this. Hmm. So living in the American dream, the house, the kids, man of your dreams, all those kind of things. And yet, some loss, some emptiness, and feeling that. So... So tell us, how in the world did you end up at Kirby Church? Um, I worked at Wayne Assembly Plant, and um, I had a very high, stressful position there. Um, we'll just say that my attitude was probably less than desirable. Um, I was irritated a lot with people and situations. Um, a lot of ranting and raving went on at work. And one day, um, we had a transfer in from another plant, and uh, he was different. Um, smiling all the time, always happy, very respectful. And a lot of times I ask myself, why is he like this? And uh, one day during one of my ranting and ravings, I believe, um, I looked over at him and he looked like he wanted to say something to me, but I think he was waiting for me to calm down a little bit so I wouldn't come after him. And uh, he walked over and he said, hey, why don't you and your kids and your husband, why don't you bring your family to Kirby Church and come to the fall festival? And at that moment, I looked up at Del Sorrell, and I said, okay. And I think he was about just as surprised as I was. He almost those, fell over. Yeah, right? <laughs> those words came out of my mouth. And so I went home, and uh, Mark was hunting, and I thought of every excuse not to go, but something just kept telling me, you need to go. And so I packed up the kids and headed to the fall festival where I met Karen and Dell, and they showed me around and introduced me to a lot of people. And I knew before I left that I would come back. That's pretty cool, pretty cool. So tell me this. You came to the fall festival that night. When, when was your next, uh, the first time you came to a service then at Kirby? That Sunday. That Sunday, immediately. You just you came right back mm-hmm. in March? 
I came after probably the week or so later because it was hunting season and at that point that was more important than well most things um, and she she said would you like to go to church and kind of the same surprise came out of my mouth I was like sure where are we going it was like immediate and then I thought okay what kind of church is this she says well it's Kirby Church and I said oh, Kirby Vacuum is the only thing I know she's like no it's Kirby the church and I said I don't understand what that is she says, well, it's a, it's a free will Baptist church. And I think my jaw, uh, jaw dropped. And I said, free will Baptist? You mean those like Bible thumpers, those kind of people? She's like, it's not like that. They're not going to do cartwheels down the aisle. It's going to be, it's okay. Just, just come on and give it a try. And I said, okay. And then I showed up. So, so the big question now is at what point, I mean, because you came that first Sunday, you came a little while longer or after that. At what point did you really drop your nets and say, all right, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to start this personal relationship with God's Son. Well, for me, it was a little different because based on how I grew up, I thought everything was okay. Like, I didn't, I didn't understand saved and what that meant. I thought, I, I believe in God. I knew stories from, from growing up. I knew the Bible stories, and I knew that in the head knowledge, but, but I didn't understand anything about relationship. So I was probably a little more stubborn, and it was over the course of a couple of months that, like, I don't have that date. I don't have the pastor date that I was a nine-year-old boy, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I got, it was four years ago, between January and March. Um, and, but at that, I, I don't remember when I prayed the prayer, but I know that things started to change. Mm -hmm. Behaviors, attitudes, lifestyle, things just started to happen as God started working. Um, and... He just, it just started a fire in me that is just uh, a, a raging furnace, inferno. How about you, Crystal? Hmm. Uh, mine's a little different. The first Sunday that I came to Kirby, um, pastor was preaching on um, that God would forgive you of your past and that if you decided to follow Jesus, that you could lead a life full of, in, in abundance of joy. And I knew without a doubt at that minute that that's what I wanted. That's what I was missing. I wanted, I wanted that joy and that happiness. And so when pastor gave that invitation, I couldn't get my hand up quick enough. But I didn't want to sit there with my head bowed and my eyes closed. I wanted to stand up. I wanted to tell everyone and praise God and, and show everyone that I was just saved by his grace. Yeah. And that whole entire time that I was sitting there, Karen and Dal were right next to me praying mm. for my salvation. Mm. I, I love that, that part of the story that not only did Dale confront his fears and invite you, but he and Karen met you at the Fall Festival, showed you around. When you came that Sunday, they met you, they showed you around and, and introduced you guys to life groups and sat with you in church and, and prayed for you. And just there's, there's a really unique connection there that began to happen. And they went above and beyond, I think. And that's what I love about that and really respect about it. So, so tell me this. We, we heard a little bit about uh, before you dropped your nets, before you started this personal relationship with Christ. Now, four years later, here we are. You've, you've made this turnaround. You've changed your focus on God. How would you describe your lives as being different? It's, it's a 180-degree turnaround for us. It's, it's every part of our lives is different. Um, with Christ as the center of our lives, that hole that you have that you're trying to fill with stuff is filled by God. Um, mm -hmm. The vacation, 
don't really care. I mean, they're nice. I'd rather go on a mission trip. Mm. Um, those kind of things started to happen. To watch our, to watch our children is, is one of the biggest keys because they were young enough still that mm. they don't really remember life before, but they know life now. And to hear kind of the evolution of their prayers at night from just a simple, now I lay me down to sleep, to, to actually praying for people, um, from people that we met in Costa Rica. For, for Riley's got a, a friend in a classroom that has just had surgery, and, and she's been praying for her every single day uh, at nighttime. Um, just being focused and, and everything around God as the center changes everything in your life, everything. Joy is the word uh, that you mentioned it earlier, that just unending joy that and gratitude mm. to, to God uh, for what he's done and for Dell and Karen for listening. That's, Amen. you know, that's yeah. the key. Crystal. My word to describe my life now would be um, fullness. Um, I'm complete. Um, it's not about things. It's not about filling that void with anything but Jesus. And um, it's just peace in my life, it's not an emotion, it's my way of life now. Hmm. So the really last question that I have, but it's a tough one. Um, how would you, I mean, what does it mean to you? How would you view your life here if this hadn't happened? What does it mean to you that Dell and Karen stepped out of their box? They understood that to drop the net was to follow, but followers fish, and they invited you. What does that mean? I'm... I'm thankful. Del Sorrell changed my life. He, God laid this on his heart to invite me to church. And he, if you know Del, he stepped out of his comfort zone and, and he invited me. He opened that door for my salvation and I will forever be thankful because when I when I think about it and I think, what if he hadn't, what if he would have said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to ask her or just ignored God completely, where would I be today? What would my life be like? What would my kids be like? What would my relationship with Mark be like? Hmm. Would I still be hopeless and destined for hell? And now I have eternity. So when God ever puts it on my heart to invite someone to church or just to talk to them, I have to, because I could be someone's Dell. Different perspective. Incredible story. Would you guys give him a round of applause? Thank you so much for sharing that. You guys are wonderful. Dell and Karen are also very humble people, and I know that they would say it wasn't anything that they did. It was all that God did through them, and I love that about them. But here's the thing. Followers fish. There's a meteor shower. There's, there's a shark's tooth. Don't miss it. Yeah, God, God wants to change your life in a radical way. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you joy. When you turn your life to him, he will change you for the better in incredible ways. But guys, we can't lose focus because here's the thing. If we're not focused on what God's heart and what his passion is, then we're going to miss out on an opportunity to impact a Mark and Crystal.